Is that your prayer this morning? For the Lord to fill your cup, to fill it up and make you whole? That's a bold prayer. It is. If God fills your cup, He'd have a whole lot less resistance to people doing what He wants them to do, wouldn't He? God's people oftentimes are afraid to pray that prayer. And that's why. We don't want to step out of our comfort zone. Amen? I'm going to ask you to open your Bible this morning to two passages. We'll begin in Mark chapter number 7. Gospel of Mark chapter number 7. But I will also ask you to reference the companion passage to this text, which is Matthew chapter 15. Mark chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 15. This is our 43rd month of deputation. And like every other deputation missionary, COVID set us behind a little bit. How much, we'll never know. And it's not really that important. God knows. But by His grace, we are at the 81% mark of support. And our prayer, we learned to stop setting dates and goals. That's a recipe for depression. We just pray now. Amen. And our prayer is that God will have us on the field by mid to late April, early May. So if you would pray to that end with us, we would most be most grateful. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, and this is a familiar text to the students of Scripture. This is our Lord's encounter with the Syrophoenician woman. Beginning in verse 24, the Bible says, For thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into an house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. You couldn't hide Jesus then, and you can't hide him now. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled. For it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord. Highlight those words in your Bible if you have not done so already. Yes, Lord. Yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way. For the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And she was, and when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. Our message this morning centers around those two crucial words in verse number 28. Yes, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to be here at Central Baptist this morning, Father. Oh, what a blessing it's been already, Father. We thank you, Lord, for the warm welcome, for the heart for missions, uh, Lord, for the meals we've received, the accommodations. Lord, we thank you for all of that. But, Lord, our desire is for you to meet with us here this morning, Father. Father, I pray that you'd use me in some small way to be a blessing to this congregation here today. Lord, you know my heart's desire is to help and to not hurt, Father. Lord God, I pray that you'd help me to that end today. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. <clears throat> For those of you who have read and studied this passage, you know that our Lord spends the first 23 verses of this chapter upbraiding and rebuking the Pharisees and scribes for their majoring on minors and holding to their petty traditions, and in so doing, rendering the word of God of none effect. And then, having grown weary of their nonsense, our Lord rises and departs from the region of Galilee, the Bible says, unto the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. Now, the Bible does not give us a specific locations for the start or the finish of this journey, but I got to looking at those maps in the back of our Bible oftentimes that go unused. And uh, uh, just uh, using general idea here, general thoughts as to where this might have started and where it might have began, uh, or ended rather, I think our Lord makes a journey of some 40 miles for this encounter with this Syrophoenician woman. And it occurred to me that's a very significant number in our King James Bible. Almost every time that word or number appears, it is in, co in the context, rather, of testing. Noah's flood was upon the earth. How many days and nights? Esau was 40 years old when he took the wrong kind of wife. Isaac was 40 years old when he took the right kind of wife. Israel wandered in the wilderness for how long? Jesus fasted how many days and nights in the wilderness? You get the picture. So now our Lord has taken a 40-mile detour, I believe, for the purpose of testing the faith of a Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile, mind you, whose daughter is vexed with a devil. Look at verse 26. The Bible says that this woman besought the Lord. That is, she earnestly and diligently pled with the Lord. She sees the Lord as the only hope for her little girl, and she is not about to let this opportunity pass. Oh, that God's people would see that our only hope for a brighter future, our only hope for restoring this nation to what it once was, does not lie in Washington. It does not lie, as much as I respect Governor DeSantis, it does not lie in Tallahassee, amen? If you're living in Alabama, it certainly doesn't reside at Montgomery, Amen. I'm telling you, the only thing that changes in Montgomery from year to year is whose palm is getting greased, amen? That's about the only thing that changes there. I'm telling you, our hope lies in the Lord. Our hope lies in the third heaven at the throne of God, amen? But how many of us have besought God recently? To our shame, not many. Because if we had, we'd be turning the world upside down for Him right now. Amen? Then look at verse 27. We see the Lord's response to her request. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it under the dogs. Now, Matthew's account gives us a little bit more detail here, which is important uh, to our story. Look back at Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 22. The Bible says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Now there's only one word, or only one problem with her using the phrase, Thou son of David. 
As a Gentile, she has no right to address him as such. None whatsoever. So this amounted to nothing more than flattery on her part. Amen. And so having been ignored initially by the Lord, she starts going to the disciples and hounding them uh, to the point where uh, they're asking the Lord to uh, run her off because she's wearying them. But with her flattery rejected, she returns in verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. It's almost like somebody flipped a switch and the light came on. You know, he's not just Lord of the Jews. He's my Lord too. Amen. He isn't just the Jewish Messiah. This is God. Nobody can do these wonderful works but God. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ never rejected or refused worship because he was worthy of it. John chapter 4, verse 24, What do you tell the Samaritan woman? God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So when this Syrophoenician woman comes to him in Matthew 15, 25, saying, Lord, help me. She's approaching him in spirit and in truth. Amen? Think about that. Lord, help me. Matthew 14, where Peter was walking on the water, comes to mind. You know, he had the faith to step out of that boat and start walking toward the Lord, but he began to pay more attention to the wind and the waves than he did to the Lord. And what happened? He started to sink. So many of us are just like Peter. Amen. When things get tight, money gets tight. When there's too much month at the end of the money. Ever been there? <laughs> All right. When problems start to arise and you know, especially problems with our children, the kind of things that just tear your heart apart. We do have a tendency, like Peter, to look more at the circumstances than we do at the Lord, don't we? You know, it'd be so much easier if we just fall on our knees and say, Lord, help me. Amen. God ain't ever been impressed with lengthy prayers and speeches. God's looking on the heart. That's what He sees. If you'll cry out to Him, from the heart, Lord, help me. He will honor the cry of the heart. Now back to Mark chapter 7. Verse 27, the Lord utters his response, which we have already seen. And having been sent first and foremost to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, there's more to this response than first meets the eye. This is a very harsh response. Let the children be filled. It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it under the dogs. That's a very harsh response. Now there's a lot of teaching out there as to what exactly the Lord is saying here. I'll leave you to study that on your own, but let me summarize it by saying what he's saying here is you are not worthy. You're not worthy of approaching me. You're not worthy of a calling upon me. You're not worthy of my help. How many of us this morning are worthy of anything from the Lord? How many of us are worthy of the sacrifice he made on Calvary? How many of us are worthy of one drop of blood that was shed for our sins? How many of us are worthy this morning to uh, have him, uh, uh, to be able to approach his name in prayer? Everyone? None of us is worthy of that. But we've been made worthy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
John said, now are we the sons of God. And one of the privileges we have as sons of God is approaching His throne in prayer with our needs, our wants, our desires, our passions, our troubles. Amen? You are not worthy. Then look at the woman's reply in verse 28. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord. She offers no rebuttals. She offers no complaints. She offers no excuses. She simply agrees with the Lord's assessment of her and says, Yes, Lord. Yet the dogs, that's what I am, a Gentile dog, under the table, eat of the children's crumbs. Lord, I'm not asking for a meal. I'd just be happy with the crumbs. Please help my baby. The Lord says, here is faith. Just like that widow that cast in her two mites at the entering end of the temple. All those rich folks had walked by and they had given of their abundance and they tossed in great sums of money to be seen of the people so all the world knew what they were doing for God. They could beat their chest in the community and say, look what we did at the temple. Yet the Lord honored the sacrifice of that poor widow that gave everything she had. That gave until it hurts by casting those two mites in. Knowing that she might not be able to eat the next day, might not be able to buy bread. But giving to God meant more to her. She put the Lord first. And the Lord said, this woman has sacrificed more, has given more than everybody else here. And I'm paraphrasing here, but you get the point. Amen? You're seeing a similar kind of faith out of this Syrophoenician woman here, aren't you? Amen? How much better off would all of us be and God convicted us of things that are not right in our hearts, not right in our home, not right in our life. Rather than arguing, fussing, and fighting, and trying to prove God wrong, we just say, yes, Lord. Amen. Plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for the cleansing of our sin. Have our fellowship with God unbroken, and move on down the highway and learn the next lesson. Amen. This reply not only moved the heart of God, but it changed the course of both this woman and her daughter's life. Amen. I'm telling you this morning, folks, we need to utter those two words. Yes, Lord. They were most important in terms of our salvation, weren't they? For those that are saved here this morning, aren't you glad Isaiah 118 is still in the Bible? The verse that says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I am so glad that God reasons with men. You go to Acts chapter 17, verse 2. Paul goes into that uh, synagogue at Thessalonica. You know what he does? He reasons with those Jews out of the Scriptures. Why does God uh, uh, reason with men? All right, Thus demonstrating His patience with men. I believe it to be because God wants us to see ourselves the way that He sees us. 
And that's how he does it, by reasoning with us. Amen? I am so glad that God reasons with men. I'm glad that God didn't give up on me. I didn't get saved when I was 34 years old. Raised in a Christian home. Lived a false profession for 26 years. Finally, on the night of October 17, 1999, God cornered me and said, No more! It's now or never, son. It's a scary thing to have the God of heaven speak to your heart that way. Amen? And God's reasoning works something like this. I'm the Savior. That's Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where he uh, came to seek and to save that which was lost. That lost that night was me. Amen? Another passage, he talks about uh, leaving the 90 and 9 to go and rescue the one. And that seems mighty foolish, doesn't it? Until the one is us. <laughs> He's the Savior. I'm the sinner. That's Romans 3.10. That forgotten verse in the Bible says, There is none righteous, no, not one. 3.23, For all have sinned, all without exception. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? That's us in our lost state. That's how we're born in. We are born in sin. Amen? We're born on a one, with a one-way ticket to hell. What do we have to do to go to hell? Nothing. You're born headed that way. But God says, I'm willing to save you. That's 2 Peter 3, 9. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But you've got to let me. I won't force myself on anyone. You have got to let me save you. That's Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call an act of the will, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's only one basis on which I can do it. That's Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, where he says, For I first delivered unto you, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. That, loved ones, is the gospel, plus or minus nothing. Amen? And when God convicts your heart of your sin and shows you that in your lost state, uh, unless you trust him, you're going to bust hell wide open. All you got to do is utter those two critical words. Yes, Lord. And ask Him to save you. They are most important in terms of our sanctification. Justification is one thing. Sanctification is an entirely different matter. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, Paul said, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. True statement, right? Verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Noah Webster, in his classic American, Dict uh, English, American Dictionary of the English Language, defines sanctification as, quote, the act of making holy. In an evangelical sense, the act of God's grace by which the affections of men are purified or alienated from sin and the world and exalted to a supreme love of God. I could not have said it any better. That's where 
your affections, the affections of men, the things that men normally have affinity for, all of that is cast aside for the purpose of drawing closer to a holy and righteous God that has saved you out of a life of sin and desires to mold you into a vessel meet for His use. Amen. It is, in a nutshell, striving to become in, per, uh, in, in practice what you someday will be in person. Now your soul, all right, has been cut loose from your flesh, washed in the blood, sealed in the day of redemption. It'll never sin again. Your soul is as saved as it's ever going to be. Your flesh is a different story. Amen? And if it's anything like mine, between the time your eyes open in the morning and the time your feet hit the floor, you've already committed five sins. Sloth. <laughs> Bad attitude. All right? Laziness, especially in temperatures like this. Let's face it, here in the deep south, we're not used to freezing or sub-freezing temperatures, are we? We wake up on those mornings, oh my goodness, all right? The house is cold and the flesh is weak, isn't it? You're tempted to throw that blanket up over your head and just roll over and for another hour, aren't you? Come on now, fess up. Your flesh is no different than mine, okay? You think that flesh needs sanctifying? Amen. Good start to sanctifying that flesh would agree what Paul said in God's Word right there. Just say, yes, Lord. <laughs> and start purging those things away. Amen. Those words are most important and our suffering as Christians. You know, God's people today don't suffer real good. Not like the, not like the saints of old. Amen? And I'm, I'm right there among you. Peter said in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, we hear that verse preached from the pulpit and taught in the Sunday school room quite a bit, don't we? If you've heard that taught before, raise your hand. And I'm not objecting to any of that, all right? But I want you to observe something in your Bible. Notice at the end of that verse, you don't find a period. You find a colon. In other words, there's more to the story. This is just the beginning. Now, here's what verses 9 and 10 say. Verse 8 says, The devil's a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Then in verse 9, the Bible says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions. Afflictions go hand in hand with suffering, do they not? Are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, and that never means sinless, that just means complete in Him. Establish, strengthen, settle you. Well, that adds some context to the passage, does it not? And if I'm reading that correctly, in order to be established, strengthened, and settled, and that's what we all strive for, right? Or we should be. And thus complete in Him, we must first suffer for a little while. 
If you've never suffered as a Christian, folks, fasten your seatbelts and turn on the no smoking sign. It's coming. <laughs> Amen? I'm sure if I went around this room and asked the more seasoned saints among us, I'm talking about the folks that have walked with God for 20, 30, 40 years or more, they could tell some stories that will make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Things they've suffered for God. They don't talk about it. They don't wear it on their sleeve like a badge of honor. They just count it as something that all Christians have had to endure. Dating back to the early days. How many of us, if we were in the same position Paul was in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that Mamertine prison there in Rome and the squalid conditions he was forced to, to be therein, all men having forsaken him. How many of us would have the spiritual wherewithal to say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. How many of you are veterans here, combat veterans, United States military? You ever get around a veterans gathering and Veterans talk about things on a different level, don't they? They talk about things that most civilians would never understand. All right? They don't understand how bonds are forged in combat between men. All right? Bonds that are like brotherhood, bonds that will never be broken by anything other than death. Amen? You know what I hear in Paul's words right there? Echoes of an old soldier who knows that He's going to have to lay his head on that chopping block here soon. Amen. He's fought a good fight. He finished his course. He kept the faith. It's not always easy to fight a good fight, is it, men? When you're short on food, short on ammunition, the situation seems hopeless. The temptation is to surrender, isn't it? Make it light on yourself. To say, nobody cares about us. We've been forgotten over here. What if your company is surrounded on three sides by the enemy? You've got one avenue of escape. In order to take advantage of that, you've got to have a certain group of men fight a rear guard action in order for the rest of the one platoon so the rest of the company can escape to get to the LZ to get out on the choppers. You think it's easy for that company commander to say, you, 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 rear guard action. You think that's not a decision that's going to haunt him for the rest of his life? Yet at the end of the trail, he'll be able to say, I fought a good fight. You say, his men, aren't, his men will do it because they're good soldiers, just like their leader is. Amen? Some of us had to make, may, may have to make that ultimate sacrifice for the Lord. I don't relish the thought of doing that. I'm no different than any of you. I enjoy my grandchildren as much as any other man my age. Okay? But where we're going in Ireland, preaching what we preach and teach, how we preach and teach it, it's not going to be a welcome message. It's not going to be welcomed by the Roman Catholics, and it's certainly not going to be welcomed by the Muslims. Amen? And if God calls upon you to make that sacrifice, what are you going to do? 
I pray I'm never put in that position, but if I am, I pray that I will be able, like Paul, to say, if this is the end of the line, Lord, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. That way I can stand before Him at His judgment seat and not be found wanting. How many of us live as if we expected to see the judgment seat of Christ today? If you did, I promise you, you would keep short accounts with God. Amen? When the time comes for you to suffer, are you going to endure it quietly and patiently and say, Yes, Lord. Those words are important in terms of our separation. You see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 14 and 18 that deals with, and I won't go there for the sake of time, it talks about the unequal yoking. That has more to do, that has, there's much more to that passage than just marital relations. You shouldn't be unequally yoked with unbelievers in friendships. You shouldn't be unequally yoked in business partnerships. Why? Because you don't have the same core values. Right? You don't have the same God. You serve and worship the God of heaven. They serve and worship the God of this world. And at some point, there's going to be friction. At some point, somebody's going to lose. When the temptation in a business transaction comes to take a shortcut and do something illegal, you know who's going to stand accountable for that? You're going to be just as accountable for the law before God as they are. Because God told you not to do it to start with. Are you willing to separate from certain people and certain things. You know, there's certain activities out here that aren't necessarily sinful. But if they're going to cause you to stumble in your walk with God, you need to separate from them. Some people can handle going to an occasional football game. Some people can't. Right? Some people can go to a baseball game every now and then and not bother them. Some people want to go to every game. And money they could be spending to advance the Lord's work is spent on entertainment. You follow me? You've got to have some discernment. You've got to use some wisdom there, don't you? All right? Are you willing to separate from certain people and certain things? When God convicts you of it, are you willing to say, yes, Lord, and walk away from those things or those people? Finally this morning, those words are most important in terms of our service to Him. <clears throat> Paul said in Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. There's a separated servant. Amen. James said in James 1.1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes, a tribe which are scattered abroad, greeting. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle, of Jesus Christ. Peter esteemed the role of servant greater than the office of apostle. Then in Revelation 1.1, John says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. Now there's four heavy hitters, if you want to call them that, in the service of the Lord. Paul, James, Peter, and John. Do you see how each referred to themselves? 
servants. We're just servants. Amen? I am honored that God has called me to take the gospel to a foreign field. It's the honor of a lifetime. I don't feel any differently now than I did the day we made the video. And I'm not trying to draw attention to myself. Please don't get me wrong. But I'd like to think that God is sending me to a foreign field because I was first faithful as a servant here at home. Do you think your pastor got to be a pastor? All right? Because he woke up one morning and says, I want to be a pastor. He's a pastor today because he was faithful in the other ministries that God had given him previously. Amen? Folks, we need to take our role as servants seriously. Much more seriously than we do now. Amen? When we stand before Him at the judgment seat of Christ and our works are tried by fire, all right, we see the gold, silver, and precious stone here and the wood, hay, and stubble over here. What's going to be the difference between the two? The motive behind your service. Did you do what God asked you to do? Did you do it for the right reason and with the right heart? Amen. Folks, the time has come for God's people to stop passing the buck. We all talk about revival, how we'd like to see revival come to America and come to our community and come to our church. And that's all well and good. Okay? But if you also stop to consider that it starts with you. <laughs> what did David say in Psalm 51? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. Amen? Would your pastor like to see revival? Of course he would. Okay? But he's got to have all of you to bring it to the church. Are you willing to pray and do what it takes for revival to come? Now, I'm not going to stand here and debate whether or not we could have revival on a nationwide level again. We might and we might not. If enough people got right, we could. Okay? But I'm telling you, where did God say judgment begins? At the house of God, right? We get the house of God right. Then we can go out and get our community right. We can't get the house of God right until we get our homes right. Amen? Men, dads, God expects you to take the lead in that. Amen? Don't blame your wife. Don't blame your mother-in-law. Don't blame your neighbors. Why don't you go stand and look at the man in the mirror? Because that's where the blame belongs if there's no revival in your house. Amen? Why don't we do what the Syrophoenician woman did today as God deals with our hearts about what He would have us to do? Just utter those two simple words. Yes, Lord, and let's watch God go to work. Father, we thank You. Thank You for the opportunity, Lord, to preach here this morning. Trust that something is said in some small way has been a blessing to somebody. Lord, be with pastors. He closes the service today.
Lord, have your way in what is to come, Father. Touch the hearts of the people here at Central Baptist, Father. Use these folks to turn this community and regions beyond upside down for the gospel's sake. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.